go. All right, uh, what I want to do is I want to welcome you to our series, which is Empowered. And I'm not sure if, am I on? Okay, I got it. I think I got it. Go ahead. Okay. So our series Empowered, which the idea is the Holy Spirit coming upon in order to do God's will through us. And as we do that, just remember um, the Marshall Amp. Okay? Thanks. I don't think you can turn it off. I think whoever's amp that is, if you could just come up here and knock it off. or not, Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> do whatever it takes. <laughs> okay. So, but here's the point. What we're doing is, is that we're saying, Jesus told us that we would do what he did and even more, right? I mean, this is where he said it. I'm giving you a little more context because I want you to see what he's actually talking about. Look, he's talking to people and he says, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me. And if you don't believe that, at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. See that? What's the work that he's talking about? The miracles, the stuff that he did that was because the Father was doing his will through him by anointing him with the Holy Spirit at the Jordan. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done. Does anybody in here believe in Jesus? Okay, then you're supposed to be doing the works that he did, the miracles, the stuff of God, okay? And even greater works. Anybody doing greater than what Jesus did? Okay, I'm glad no hands went up. We would have had to clear the area for the lightning strike, okay? All right, uh, and, that, and you know, it's not supposed to be that way. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father, see? You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So the Son can bring glory to the Father. Listen, yes, he repeats himself. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now the reason why we're in this series is because that's not happening in our lives. Right? Now, I can go into 14 and show you other places where he says, if you love me, if you keep my commandments, if you're doing, it's not as in works and rules and so on, but if you really love me, if you really get it, that's the, that's the broader, deeper thing that he's talking about. And so I might be just a little bit loud. I mean, just as a personality, okay? But maybe in the mic too. Okay, thanks. All right, thank you. Now, so what I want us to see is, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And I want to just show you what's happened over the last three weeks and then what's going to happen today. Because honestly, I got to tell you, this is just blow away stuff. Always remember something. The way most churches do sermon series, and it's fine that they do it this way. I'm not being critical when I say this. But, you know, they'll work, they'll start, they'll go on a retreat, and they'll pray a lot. They do ask the Lord what series they should be doing, what things they're supposed to be teaching, and so on. And they'll do that, and that's just wonderful. And we actually did that for a couple of years and everything else. But I just felt like it had somehow unplugged us a little bit. If I have a paradigm of how God's supposed to lead a congregation, and I mean in the sermons too, it's more the Israelites when they're in the desert and God is leading them every day by a pillar of fire by, a fire by night and a cloud by day. It is every week God should be leading us prophetically. When I think of sermons, I don't think of sermon series. I don't think of, I think of maybe here's a passage we're working on, but maybe we're going to do that, maybe we're not. The primary thing I go out and ask, the first thing I ask is, is what do you want to say to us? What do you want to say to us? Because what I'm going after is that he actually does want to say something to us. And here's what I really mean by that. Just as he taught the disciples step by step, you know, they didn't know where they were going, right? He didn't say, now, here's the plan, guys. And then he laid out the outline, and, you know, he did all this thing, right? What he did was is he took them one step, and then he took them another step, and then he took them another step. And all of a sudden, he took them a step that, man, if you'd have started, if you'd have told them, they would have left. <laughs> right? He does this thing where he just takes us step by step, and all of a sudden we find ourselves, how the heck did I get here? This is amazing. This is transform. This is, this is unbelievable. For three weeks in this place, what's been happening is, we went to a very common passage of Scripture. I, honestly, when I first looked ahead and I saw that we were going there, I thought, well, it, you know, we'll get something out of this. It's Sermon on the Mount stuff. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And, but I thought, geez, we've heard it a lot and all that kind of stuff. And, and I got to tell you, our experience with the Sermon on the Mount section in Luke 2, which is actually, I think, not Sermon on the Mount, but that's a technical detail. Who cares? But the bottom line is, is, is when I looked at, when I 
when God started teaching me what he actually was saying in that passage, you heard me three weeks ago stand up here and say, I thought I really knew this passage, and I have to tell you, now that I've actually heard what God is trying to say through it to me now and to us now, honestly, I don't think I can do it. I want to be the kind of person that wants to do that, but I can tell you that my wanter isn't even to where I even really want to do what he's saying, if I'm being honest with myself, right? Now, behind that, of course, I really want to be that, so deeper I want it, right? This is Paul, you know, why do I do the things I don't want to do and don't do the things that I do want to do? And he's, he's getting down to this there's, this, there's this old us, and there's a thing there, and then there's this new thing that God is bringing out, and that's the thing that he's trying to take us into in a journey. I believe that sermons and series and these things that we do, they're supposed to be a journey, and a journey led by God. This is what our walk's like every day, right? He doesn't tell us the whole plan. He doesn't tell us everything's going to happen. He just walks us there day by day, doesn't he? So what he did three weeks ago is I stood up here, and honestly, it wasn't a sermonic trick, you know, to make you feel the depths of something. I stood up here and vulnerably and transparently and told you, just like Jesse said after, after Justine's sermon, which was yet another one, you know, I'm going to have to rethink my Christianity because I thought I was doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm a pastor. Heck, I thought I was doing pretty good. I thought I was pretty sacrificial, and, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good. And now all of a sudden God tells me, here's what good, here's what it really looks like. You know, it's the, it's the not hanging out with the people, and not that you can't ever hang out with people that you love, but it's what are you doing to hang out with people who you don't even know and invite them into your home. Justine takes that in the second week, and she says, she took, remember, there was a big thing she was talking about, that passage, love your enemies, but she took the one that should have been the most doable by us. Give to somebody that asks. A panhandler will ask you for money. For heaven's sakes, give them the money. Do we? No. Why? Well, because we've got it all figured out why it's not healthy for them to get that money. And that's all true, too. You know, these, these are complicated things, right? But the fact of the matter is, is just like the Pharisees, somehow we've worked ourselves into a position to where God says to do something, and we've got it worked out to where it's godly not to do it. And she's saying, if I really look inside of myself, if I really go after the depths of what this is actually saying, I don't think I can do this. I just am not there. Let's be honest, right? First, first, step, to admitting you, first step to getting things right is admit you've got a problem, Right? And then I stood up here last week and I took the bigger part of it and I talked about, you know, being good to your enemies. I don't mean loving them and understanding and so like, I mean the kind of thing where Jesus and Stephen sit on the cross to the very people that are killing him and say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. I'm talking about the kind of thing where you actually go out, look, we talked about it, it was Veterans Day last week, I understand that there is a role for geopolitics, for militaries, for defense for all of these kinds of things but but do remember here's what jesus is saying when they bomb you go back and do good for them that's your response go do good and we can argue how we can get there and i think there's an intent to try and get there morally even in this country as we try and do things i think we really do try and do that but do understand yet once again Really, you're telling me that the person that's killing me, I'm supposed to be doing good to? You're telling me that I'm supposed to help the person who's stealing my stuff? I'm supposed to carry it to the car for them? Really? Be honest. We're not there, right? <laughs> that's not how we think. That's not how we feel. And somehow we can hear it in a sermon and then do this little gymnastic to where we don't do it in life. We're hearers and not doers. And worse than that, we've got it figured out why we shouldn't be doers. Right? Now, see, those are three pretty heavy sermons, right? And I actually went to the Lord this week, and I was, I was like praying about it. And even before I started praying about what I was supposed to pray about, I kind of went, well, Lord, it's been three pretty like, you know. I mean, there's always hope in them, and I think they were good sermons, and I think anybody should hear them. And I'm okay with lingering on something that's a problem, lingering to the point that we actually start doing it, <laughs> right? And what I'm really not okay with is doing a really convicting sermon one Sunday because what happens? It's gone somewhere in about the middle of lunch. So I'm not okay with that. So I'm okay with him lingering, but I kind of went, as I was going out there, I was kind of going, I kind of hope this week is a little different. 
Because <laughs> I just don't know how much more, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, you know, it'd be nice to have somebody sitting here, you know. <laughs> God is so good. When you let him actually lead your life, I'm sharing all this because this is a pattern for how we're to be in life. When we actually let God lead our lives, not our agendas, not our planning. God, man makes his plans. It's good to make your plans. But when you actually get to where God is truly directing your steps, wait till you hear what he has to say today. I mean, it's so stinking cool. <laughs> it's just transcendent of anything that I understood. I, you know, what we've been talking about is how do we do that? How do we get to that place? And the day is going to show us how to get to that place. And it turns out it's not only incredibly easy, it's incredibly wonderful. If we'll just do it. Because there's not, there is a very hard part to it. Right? You get where we're going? Get, get how we're doing this? So who's our prayer today? Michael, where are you? Ah, there you go. So pray for the sermon. Pray for another church. And do me one favor. Thank God for what he's doing in this church. And then he would do it again today. Go ahead. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come to you as our Heavenly Father. That we have the freedom because of those who have gone before. And um, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And remind us of that in our closets when we pray as well as when we gather. Thank you for what you're doing. Open our spiritual ears. Open our eyes to hear and see what you would have us to do today. Amen. And Father, thank you for the many who are the body of Christ, who are meeting by twos and threes. Those who are imprisoned for you, those who are imprisoned and found you, and those who are afraid to or may not even know more than one or two that are like-minded. Lord, we lift those up to you that they may also have their eyes opened, their ears opened, to hear and see what you would do in the witness that you have in their lives to the rest of the world. Thank and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We're in Luke. As we've been doing, the reason why we're in Luke, of course, is because we believe that in Luke that God is showing us how Jesus trained the disciples to where they got from one place to an entirely different reality, the kingdom of the world into fully the kingdom of God where they were doing the what Jesus was doing and the more. You can actually go through uh, Acts and so on and see exactly that. And so what we're doing is, is we're saying that God has done the same thing with us. What he's done is, is he's peeling back. We're peeling back the stories and we're looking at the flow. So what we're doing is we're going to pick it up from where we left off last week, but I want you to see the context because the transition, it turns out, are as important as the information that comes next because it contextualizes it. Watch what I mean. Love your enemies. This is what we did last time. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you'll be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Let's get the context. Who's he talking about? Enemies. Not just, not just you know, a certain, uh, an enemy that is wicked. You know, your interpretation of their life is wickedness. God's interpretation of their life, he's saying, is wickedness. See it? And what he's saying is he's kind to those people. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Now watch what he says. So here's our next section. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. If I didn't have the context on that particular little verse right there, here's what I think this means. VJ, would you stand up here with me for just one second? Here's what it means. VJ and I are getting to be more and more friends. This is a great guy. He started to do hosting for us. Thank you very much. You're awesome. Okay? But now watch. Here's what I think do not judge means. VJ and I, we both love God. We, we know him and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it means, you know, you got a log in your eye. Don't go looking at the speck in his. You know what I mean? It means just love him. See what I mean? It means something different than, you know, don't judge him. Don't be critical of him. Don't be gossipy about him. Don't be all these things. We're brothers. That's what it means, right? Don't judge somebody. 
Thanks, VJ. But that's not what the context is, is it? In fact, the, the context is love the people that are hurting you. Jesus and Stephen, Father, forgive those who know not what they do. They know not what they do, right? He's teaching us to, he's telling us, love the people who are exactly hurting us. In fact, the truth about me and VJ and judgment and all that kind of stuff is Paul says, what do you mean you're not discerning how your brothers and sisters are doing? Which is another nice euphemistic word for judging. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean you're not looking at your brother and helping them? It doesn't mean be critical about them, tell them what's wrong with them, right? What it means is, what do you mean you're not going and helping them lift their hands? What do you mean you're not going and helping them? Don't you know that you're supposed to judge the angels? Can't you be discerning? Don't you know what's actually going on? That's what Paul says. So what he's saying is, is actually it turns out that this do not judge others and you'll not be judged is so much bigger than the people that it's easy to do that with. I'm not supposed to be judgmental. See? What he's saying is, your enemies, don't judge them. In fact, it's not just don't judge them. Look at this. Do not condemn others. If you condemn your enemy, it comes back on you. Look at this. Forgive others and you'll be forgiven. Forgive them that are doing harm to you. You know, just get real about this for a second. Thank God that it turns out there's no line with God. Because you see, our enemies can do a certain amount of bad to us, and we can be okay with them. But at some point in time, they cross that line, they're out. It's okay for me to bomb them and hate them and kill them. Right? Because they crossed the line. Which I did how many times this week? With God. Thank God he's not drawing lines because I'd be stepping over them all the time. Do you see it? He's trying to get us into an entirely different space, an entirely different kingdom, an entirely different reality. Give and you will receive. Now this is, yes, it's about finances. We use it about that. That's very much what he's talking about. But do see the bigger context? Here's what he's saying. Be generous. Be generous not just in finances but in, to people. See, give to them. Be nice to them. Help them. Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together. Make room for more. No, here's how it works in the world. See, when I take a dollar and I give it to you, I now have one less dollar and you now have one more dollar. And that's math, Kurt. And the nice thing about math is you don't have to get all spiritual about it. It just is. Right? That's the principle of the world, isn't it? And yet what God's saying is it's just not the principle of the kingdom. God who has everything and made everything multiplies back so that as you give, you somehow have more to give. And all of a sudden, two fish and a couple of loaves of bread start becoming something that feeds thousands. That's the kingdom. This is the reality that he wants us living in. And it's not just with money. It's with our heart. It's with our life. Do you see it? Press down, shaken together. If you do that, it's going to be given to you back to you. Shaken together, make room for more. Running over and pouring in your lap, which is mean I'm going to give in order to get rich. But that would be just exactly contrary to everything he's just told you to do. He's going to give you more so that you can pour out more. Be a vessel who's faithful. Be a vessel who he can trust to do what he wanted to do. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Unfortunate NLT right there. Every once in a while, I, I like them because it's so readable and so understandable. But right there, the, the correct way of saying it is the, the more older way, which is the way that you measure is how it's going to be measured back. Do you withhold of your heart? See? Do you have a line? Okay, then you're going to have a line. Do you not have a line? Okay, then you're not going to have a line. See it? Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can a blind person lead another one? Uh, who is he talking about? Us. He sees, we don't, we're blind. Can we lead each other? Yes, we can. But guess where we're going to end up? In a hole. <laughs> See it? 
They'll both fall into a ditch. Students are not greater than a teacher. We're not greater than Jesus. We're not the ones that tell Jesus how it works. But if you'll let him tell you how it works, and you'll receive it despite the fact that you don't understand it, if you'll let him take you on this journey, he will step by step and moment by moment and process by process, he will bring you into a place where the student who's fully trained becomes like the teacher. That's what he's trying to do with us. We all get this. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. Get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you can see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, note what it doesn't say here. It doesn't say, don't be discerning. Euphemism, right? It doesn't mean don't understand what's going on with the other person. It just means understand that you're not greater than them. You're not anything better than them. You're not helping them as if you know everything and now I'm going to help you. I'm going to deign to help you. Doesn't everybody love to be deigned to be helped? Doesn't that make you feel special? Somebody better than you trying to help you, right? He's saying it's the same thing, maybe in a different area. And that's what's good, right? Because BJ can be really strong in one area, and I can be really strong in another area, and my strength can help his weakness, and his strength can help my weakness. He's not saying don't do that. What he's saying is do something. Just do it in the right heart, in the right spirit. So, so I want you to take this passage right now, and I, I really want you to do this. John Iwasaki took a piece of writing that I did, which I still have not gotten to, John, and it's coming, but... But John, I sent John a, a, a thing that I'd written, and I said, make it good, which is what I do a lot with John, okay? And then what John does is he takes my 320 words, and he turns them into 175 or maybe 150, right? And somehow it's just a lot better. You should do that with the sermons too, John. They'd all be a half hour. <laughs> amen. Is that an amen? Did you say Amen. <laughs> Awesome. I agree. Okay, John, come on up. <laughs> I'm going to do a translation, though. That'll take longer. All right. But here's the point. He takes, he takes what I wrote, and he shrank it down into about half the words, and it's better. I looked at it, and I went, that's better. Now, I want you to do that with this thing, only I don't want you to shrink it down to half the words. I want you to take that entire passage and shrink it down to one word. Tell me, what's the word that captures that passage, particularly the log in your eye and so on. What's the one word? Really close. I, you, may, you may actually be right, but that's not the word I was looking for, okay? <laughs> Forgive is a good, another good one, but keep going. I think there's another word when you see it. What? Grace. Who said love? I heard compassion. Who said love? Michael said love. I want to argue that, that beneath all of those, and you could argue semantically with me, so don't do that, okay? Let's just go with the flow, right? But I want to argue that that whole passage sinks down to, at the deepest moment, at its deepest level, it sinks down to love. If you really love somebody, you're not critical of them. You want to help them. You're not better than them. You know you've got some problems too, and you need their help as much as they can use yours. If you really love somebody, it takes you to a different place, right? We're going to take a moment. We're going to talk about love. And in order to do this, I need a couple who's been married for a long time and who has experienced both the glories and the unglories. Is that a good word? Another euphemism. Who's experienced both heaven and hell. So, Julie, come on up. <laughs> come on. That was good. Come on. <laughs> All right. Yes. Now, if I'm a naturalist, then that's a person that tries to explain everything without there being anything spiritual, without there being anything transcendent. If I'm a naturalist, here's what I say about love. You see this all the time. You see it in Bones where the really smart girl, you know, what does she say about love? It's just biochemical, right? 
Well, you see it in Star Trek, for heaven's sakes. Who's Spock? Spock is the guy, it's all about chemistry. It's all about reason. It's all about logic. It's all about this one thing, right? But both Bones and Star Trek and many other plays and dramas and so on pointed something out about us, and that is there is, in fact, something about biochemistry, reason, logic. There is something to it, to a point. There's something very real about it, very important. When we went on our, on our retreat, one of the things that we learned was is that we all have these little toboggan runs that we pattern in in our behaviors towards one another, right? You react, and then they react, and then this happens, and then this happens, and, this, and you got this well-worn toboggan run, and that's biochemistry. And I'm telling you, in order to try and find a video clip for this, and I, I just couldn't take it anymore, I just read over, I watched all these YouTube things and all this kind of stuff. There was one guy, if, I'm telling you, this guy needed love in his life so bad, it was unbelievable, and he was trying to teach people that love was just biochemistry. And I mean, you just looked at him, and you went, my God, you need love. You, I just felt so sorry for the poor guy, you know, and I listened to him as long as I could, and I just went, I can't do this anymore. You know what I mean? I wish I could show his picture, but it would be demeaning to another human being, so I'm not going to do it, okay? It was three parts, though, I'm telling you, three-hour-long lessons about how it's all just biochemistry. And he explained everything in terms of biochemistry. Now, listen to me carefully here. Everything he said was actually true to a point. Here's the point. We've been together almost, we're coming on 40 years, okay, in, in another year and a half or so, something like that. Yeah, huh? Amen. Yeah, you can... You can thank God for the grace of that, okay? Yeah, there was a lot of grace. Her name is Julie. Okay, all right. But, but now watch. Okay, biochemistry explains an awful lot of what that 40 years has been about. Here's the first thing that biochemistry says. I have a desire. Can anybody guess what it is? Please don't name it because we're in church. Okay? I have a desire, okay? And so... Those people who back in the old days, if we're doing it by evolution, right, and genetics and all, and genetic selection and everything, those people who were really bad at getting what they wanted didn't get what they wanted, so their genetic trait didn't reproduce into the culture. Those people who released some dopamine, some oxytocins, some chemicals in their brain that make them feel good when they're trying to attain something, those people get to mate, and get to propagate. So consequently, as a species, this is what they say now, we get biochemically better and better at, if I want something, I've got to be something. Do you see it? Right? And so, honest to goodness, an awful lot of our almost 40 years have been me wanting something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now they get it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. And not just that, other things too, okay? And likewise back, okay? There's a lot of biochemistry going on here, in, in truth, in real, right? And it even explains it to the point that, see, here's what we say. When we talk about love and when we talk about the kind of love and marriage and everything else, what do we talk about? What's one of the big words that we talk about when we're talking about how to love another person? Sacrifice sacrificial. See? I'm willing to lay down certain things in order that it makes our relationship better, which is a benefit ultimately to me. You see it? There's still where the orientation still is? But we talk about it sacrificially, don't we? And, and marriage retreats, we were just on one. You've got to be sacrificial. And if there's, if there's not a part in your marriage where in your natural self, in your biological self, you're not sacrificial, good luck with how that marriage is going. Right? So this is real stuff that we're talking about. To a point. We can explain so much of 40 years. But almost 40 years ago, Julie and I stood in exactly this position as somebody was marrying us, pronouncing things, right? And at that moment, there was something going on inside of me which became something much more than just biochemistry. Again, the naturalists right now, they could still say, no, 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 you don't understand, Kurt, it still is there. But here's what I want to say. 
in the 40 years since that time, we have had certain seasons of time, and they didn't last as long as it took me to get gratified or as long as it took her to get what she wanted. It wasn't, it, it wasn't momentary stuff. I'm talking about we've had months and even years where we were so in love with one another. We were so good together. It was so wonderful that I didn't, I didn't, what I wanted is what she wanted. I didn't care about what I wanted. It didn't have anything to do with anything that I wanted. It was that this is the most spectacular human being I've ever met in my whole life. And I just wanted, I wanted, there's the key word. It wasn't sacrificial what I was doing for her. I wanted anything that would bring her pleasure. I wanted that. And without any thought whatsoever about how it would come back to me. I didn't do it to get anything in return. I, I did it because this is truly the most spectacular person I've ever met in my whole life. And there is this thing that happens between us when we become as God intended and we start becoming genuinely one. And now my desire and her desires are the same thing. I want to go on so much longer on this, but I do have a sermon I got to do. <laughs> I love you, honey. I love you. Thank you. When God looks at us, what kind of worship does he want? Does he want the worship that says, I'm sacrificing for you? Does that make him feel good and warm inside? It's nice that you're doing that instead of just not, right? But is that what he wants? Understand something. See, biochemistry is real. God made it this way. God made us this way. Why? So that we could use that biochemistry to get to a certain place where all of a sudden it began to transcend. In some ways, that moment of holding hands together at the altar was the beginning of something and not the fullness. You could almost explain that in biochemical terms. But 30 years later, when all of this other stuff has happened and we're doing this, and all of a sudden we come into one of these seasons where we're just this way with each other and it is overwhelming and it is all about the other person and uh, you just disappear and you become one and you just envelop each other. I'm telling you, God has given us all the biochemistry to get us, to help us, to get to the place to where we begin to transcend all of that. If we didn't have the biochemistry, we wouldn't get there. But if you only have the biochemistry, you don't get there either. You see it? Does God, what does God want from us? What does he want? He wants somebody that goes, oh my God, you're beautiful. Oh my God, you're unbelievable. Oh my God, you're everything. Oh my God, I don't care about anything else. All the other stuff that I used to want just doesn't matter because you are everything. You are amazing. You are wonderful. You are God. You are, uh, and you get completely and utterly lost in him. And acts of worship don't feel like sacrifice. And acts of service don't feel like sacrifice. And acts of giving don't feel like sacrifice. And anything you do doesn't feel like sacrifice because you become one with him. He says in the Bible, watch this, there's three kinds of love that existed, three words for love. There's all kinds of other words too, just like in English. But there was three kinds of words that were really important prior to Christ. Actually, two words that were really important and one word that was barely used. The first word was eros, and that's the one where I want something, and so I'm lusting, and so I want this, and so the biochemistry goes off, and I'm good at doing for you so that you'll do for me, and, and you know what I mean? But that's actually more philos, but you get the point. Eros is about, the whole orientation is about what I want, and I do in order to get what I want. Philos is brotherly love, Philadelphia. It's this love where what I do is I do good I do good to Julie, and she does good to me, and it's a mutual exchange of goodness that makes our life better. You see it? Now, there was this third love that happened in Christ Jesus that the world had not only not seen, but it had not experienced enough in any other context that, frankly, the word was very, very little used. And what the word was, it was just the closest word they could do. What the word was was agape. And what agape meant was sacrificial love. As in, I don't think about the return to me at all. It's loving the unlovable. It's loving somebody who's not going to love you back. 
That's what agape meant. It's laying down your life for somebody else. And frankly, it was in the, it was in the language, but it was used so little because it just happened so little. And then all of a sudden, Christ comes along, and Christ starts doing this. And we say, Christ sacrificed his life for us, and so on. And so we understand agape love as being a love that has no thought of return to me. Do you see it? It's all about the other person. But I learned something about agape this week when I was doing this sermon. I've always defined agape love in terms of sacrifice. And all of a sudden, I realized it's not sacrifice. It's transcendent. It's transcendent of me. It's transcendent of everything. In the Bible, it says when we get to heaven, right now we're distanced, right, from God and from everything that we see in a mirror dimly. So there's this distinction between us and him. There's this difference between us, right? There's this gulf, right? But when we get to heaven, we're going to be, what does it say? Known as we're Known. Now that word known right there, that's gnosko. That's a word that was also used for physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. Now he's not talking about that in heaven. What he's talking about is that moment where you so come together where you're, it just transcends everything. And all of a sudden what's happening is, is that you begin to know this person. You begin to know God and you know him as much as he knows you. You become one. There isn't, do you think the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are saying this about one another before they made creation? It's kind of like, Jesus is going, you know, I really like the Father and the Holy Spirit, but you know, I got an issue here, but I will sacrifice my desire so that we can be one. Is that what Jesus was saying? Here's what was happening. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in a oneness that was so transcendent, so complete, so utterly the other. Everything in them, absolutely one with one another. And they liked it so much. Doesn't it feel good when you really get to that moment? Right? It's the best thing ever. And when that happens, what all creation is, is, is like this. It's like God is in this place, and it is this explosion of more of what he loves. He made more to be one with him and one with one another. That's what creation is. Nothing more, nothing less. That's quite a bit. This is, see, when the Bible says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Understand what it means now. It's, it doesn't mean the thing that we think it means. It doesn't, he doesn't just like us. What he's saying is he's one with us. What he's saying is he's all about us. What he's saying is all of his being is for us, is in us. Isn't that what he wants? Isn't that the language that we hear all over scripture? It's getting to this place that transcends any biochemistry, any distance, anything else. It becomes genuinely one with the other person. And it's the greatest feeling ever. God is love. And doesn't that now explain to us verses we've already read more deeply? Because what he said was, don't judge others and you won't be judged. Don't condemn others or it'll all come back against you. Forgive others and you'll be forgiven. If I do this by saying, I'm going to work really hard at not judging you. I see this, I'm going to work really hard at not judging you. And I'm going to sacrifice whatever I wanted to say. And I'm just going to support you. And I'm just going to really got this problem. And I, you see what I mean? Is that what he's talking about? This is not about what we do. This is about who we are. This is getting down to the be, be love. That's whose image we've been made into. Be love. When you love somebody, you can't judge them. <laughs> you can help them. You can see something going on, but you don't judge them. You don't condemn them. You forgive them. You give to them, right? What's your measure? Man, I love you. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> All the way. I am. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them unexpected repay. How can you do that? We now know how to do it all of a sudden. You've got to love them. I don't mean just like them. 
I don't mean have little lines. I don't mean have it all to find out. I mean you have to be all in for them. That they are made in God's image too and something has got corrupted and perverted and something is bad and you have got to be all about in your life not as a sacrificial thing but as a willing, cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. What does that mean? God loves somebody who wants to do this. Not somebody who says, oh, you told me I have to go out and witness, so I'm going to go out and witness, and after I've done some witnessing, then I can go back and do what I want to do. See it? God is saying, no, I want you to be all about them. When somebody that you really love is in a bad place, what do you do for them? Here's the better question. What wouldn't you do for them? Do you stop anywhere? Is there any line that somebody that you love in this way can cross that would cause you to not continue to pursue them no matter what they did to you? If you love them this way, all of a sudden now it's easy to understand how to love my enemies. It's easy to lend them without respecting. I don't want to lend to you. I want to give to you. (laughs) Right? Then your reward from heaven is great. Then you'll be truly acting as children of the Most High in whose image you were made and created to be. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked, and you must be compassionate. Because that's what your dad is. That's who he made you to be. That's the genetic structure that's in you. That's the one that's trying to get out. So we got to get it out somehow. Right? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Was Jesus going, wow, I really don't want to do this? Yes, he was, but what was he not wanting to do? Be separated from the Father. But there was a bigger joy than being separated from the Father that he had, and it was you and me. He was willing to have that moment of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that he could reach out. Do you see it? This is what our lives are supposed to be. That's who's in image we've been, we're being conformed. For the joy that was set before him, you reach out and you do things. And so here's the point. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Do we understand this better now? What does that mean? If you're agape, if your being is agape, how do you produce hatred? How do you produce judgment? How do you produce bad stuff. (laughs) On the other hand, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Why do you keep on calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep, lays a foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who's building a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it'll collapse into a heap of ruins. Here's what I'm saying. When we are building our lives on agape love, when we are building our lives on Christ, when we are letting his love so pervade us that we become transformed by his agape for us, when we let his agape come into us so that we can begin to be agape back out, when we let that happen, we end up building a house that looks unlike anything that the world builds. That's a stupid house in the world's opinion. Why? It's too transparent. It's not protected. People can see you. You need to protect yourself. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to build a wall between you and other people so that there's some sense of this is my space. Do you see it? But when you're building a house on agape, it's just going to look different. (laughs) It's going to be totally transparent. It's going to be, if you, if you really were agape in the whole of your life, what would your life look like? Because here's the truth. It wouldn't look anything like what it looks now.
would it? I don't say that to condemn. I say that to inspire. I want us to get a hold of, wow, I really have been building a house. I thought I was building a good God house, but I really have been building a house that isn't a good God house, right? I want to build the right kind of house. So I got to leave you with how do you do that? And I'm going to show you how to do that by telling you the dumbest story ever because, you know, okay? What we're doing is, is we're starting with biochemistry in order to get to transcendence. Do you see it? So I want to start with transcendence. Forty years ago when I got together with Julie, I knew how to cook two things. A steak and a skillet. That was my protein. And I like butter, so I would steam peas. You know how I used to steam peas with a little pot with the water, and then you do frozen peas in there? And the little thing, I don't even know what to call them. But you put it in there, and it would steam the peas, and then you could throw a bunch of butter and salt on it. And I would eat peas and butter if I ever ate at home, but I traveled a lot. Other than that, I ate out. Julie thought I was a cook because somebody told her I fixed a turkey once. Here's what I did. I fixed a turkey once. Okay? Now, I get together with Julie, and Julie's been cooking for big crowds of people her entire life. They're farmers, and they've got all these people that help them and so on. She's been cooking for 20, 30, 40, 50 people her whole life. She actually likes, like, going to the grocery store. Really? Oh, my gosh. Kill me. I mean, seriously, when I went to the grocery store with Julie, here's the one thing I did, because I knew she thought it was sexy. And the biochemistry was always kicking in, all right? So if she thinks I'm sexy, it may, no. So, the, but, but the one thing I would do was, and I was, but I would juggle fruit, right, Julie? I would go in the grocery store, she's going, and she, you thought it was sexy, didn't you? You're like, I like my man, you know what I mean? He's over there, and I'm going behind my back. I was pretty good at it, you know what I mean? I'm juggling away, and I'm juggling the fruit. Literally, she saw me one time, she was walking down an aisle, and she saw fruit arcing over the top of the aisle. And she went, that's my man. <laughs> okay, look, whatever works for you, right? All right. So consequently, I mean, I haven't, I, you know, I, I, you know, I walk into a grocery store and it's, it's like I've walked into some foreign country. You know, what is this stuff? And what do you do? And, you know, what's the cart for? And, you know, I'm not stupid, but, you know, really, really close. About two years ago, would you say? About two years ago, uh, you know, both of us just work too hard, and that's a problem, and we're trying to get over it, and God's trying to heal us from it. But the point is, about two years ago, Julie, Julie doesn't get home until 9 o'clock or later on a very regular basis. And then she, a lot of times she would be coming home at 9 o'clock, and she would stop at some grocery store to pick up a couple of things. And I just got to thinking, eh, that's probably not very good. You know what I mean? I could do that. And so I just started going to the grocery store. But see, I know something about myself. I know that if I'm doing something to be sacrificial and to be nice but it feels sacrificial to me. I know that I will do it for a season, but then I will stop. It's not sustainable because I don't want to do it. So I knew I had to trick myself into wanting to go shopping. So there's a particular store in town which makes tortillas, real tortillas, and then they deep fat fry them <laughs> and puff them up into something almost like a pastry. And they are great. They're not good for you. I didn't say that. In fact, I almost said the exact opposite, didn't I? Okay? I'm using my addictions to change my behavior. I did. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you how well it worked. I would go in. I was the terrible guy in the store that was eating food in the store. You Don't you hate that? I mean, Julie thinks it's so gross. She's like, I can't believe you do that. And I say, here's the deal, honey. Because I do that, I like shopping now. Because I started training myself as I went home, I'd go, wow, you know what I mean? If I go in that store, I get to eat something I really like. And I found two or three other things in that great big store that I really liked. And so sometimes I would grab chips and sometimes I'd grab something else. And I would feed myself and eat as I was going through the store and I was happy. <laughs> and then I would go home and I wouldn't just leave them sitting there. I would eat the stuff as I was putting it away. So I would get to eat more. And I got to where, I'm, I'm not talking like the one shop a week. I'd go by the store three, four, or five times a week. You know what I mean? I started to have a little bit of a problem. You know what I mean? I'm going to go out and go shopping. No, just kidding. Are we there? 
Now watch. I got to where I want to go shopping, and I don't care whether or not I have something to eat. It trained my body to want it. And I did this on purpose. This is how sly I am about myself. Because I know my nature. And now I can go shopping and I don't need to eat anything and I actually enjoy the experience. See it? God has been telling us that he wants us to become his hands, feet, heart in the world. And we don't want to do it because we're afraid. We don't want to do it because we're worried we're going to screw it up. We don't want to do it because of all of these other thousand reasons that we've got. And it's just awkward. We don't want anybody walking up to us and telling us something. Right? So we got all these reasons why we don't want to do this witnessing. But I'm telling you that God is wanting to give you a trick. A thing that starts with chemistry, but that will go to transcend it. And it's right there, that card that I passed out last week. Stop and pray. Uh, ushers, if you don't have a stop and pray postcard, raise your hand right now, and the ushers are going to come and bring you one. And try and pay attention to while we do this, because we're at a pretty important part of the sermon. But, but I just want you to do something. Raise your hands and, and grab a stop and go thing. Now look at something here. It's really important to notice this. Do you see where that's hanging? That's my front door. Look, you can take one of these and put it in your Bible and it'll remind you throughout the day, and that's fine. Do that. That's why we give you the little cards, okay? Stick them in your wallet or in your, in your Bible or in, you know, by your desk or whatever else, but that's why you're there. But here's what I really want you to do with them. I want you to take the big card, and I want you to stick it right by your door, and then every time that you're walking out the door of your house, or if you can do it, in your office. Some people are in an office setting where this would not be appreciated. Don't do that. Don't get fired over this, Okay? But if you're in a place where you can do it, every time that you get up from your agenda to go out into the world and do something else, I want you to see that stop and pray, and then I want you to do what? This is really complicated. Stop and pray. And I'm asking you to take one minute. I'm not asking you to just think about praying. I'm asking you to actually pray for one minute. And here's what I want you to pray, just what it says. Lord, show me or tell me something that will help me recognize who you want me to reach out to as I go out. Let me show you the whole thing. See that right there? Now here's what this is saying. It's saying, say a prayer and ask the Lord to, what, what, are, what if you're praying and a lot of people get vision stuff. I don't get that very much. But they get an image of something like flowers. And okay, so you're, you stop and you pray for one minute. I'm telling you, when you first do it, it's very awkward. But then over time, you start getting patterned into it, right? And what happens is you stop and you pray and you're saying, Make, and all of a sudden you get an image of a flower. And then while you're going about your day in the mall and shopping or doing whatever, you see a woman with a dress on and it has that flower on there. Do you think that might be an invitation? Do you think that might embolden you? Do you think that might help you actually go up and, and kindly and gently, not a, not a, but just go up to him and say, you know, I just have to tell you, uh, you know, I, I just felt like God, I don't know, you know, in this circumstance, you're going to find better words than I'm using right now. But, but, you know, I see that you have on this flower dress, and I just had this thought, and I felt like God gave me this image of this flower, and it seems like that's exactly the flower that you're wearing. And can I just ask you, is there something you need prayer for? Is there something that I could help you with? Is there some way that I could be helpful to you? You see what the attitude is? Can I give to you? Can I help you? Right? Now, where's the chip in this thing? Where's the sweet thing? What happens when you pray for somebody and all of a sudden they go, oh man, I really need that? What happens if you're praying and you hear this thing about, you know, this phrase, right? And now you're at lunch with a work buddy, and all of a sudden the work buddy says that phrase exactly as you thought it. And then you say, you know, I just got to tell you, that kind of triggers in me something. Is everything okay? Can I help you? Is there something I can do and pray for you? And you see what I mean? And all of a sudden you do that. What happens if all of a sudden they go, oh man, that's exactly what I needed to hear? If I had more time, I would show you a video of a guy who's a secret Santa. 
And he goes out and he passes out $100 bills and so on. And, and the cool thing about this story is, have you seen it? It's, a, it's all around YouTube right now. And what he does is that he walks up to one person, and, and, he, and this guy is a heroin addict, and he, his wife has said, you need to pray and ask God. And he went and he prayed a certain thing to God. And then he went out, and that's exactly what this guy said to him when he gave him the 100 bucks. And what he was asking for was God to show him. I talked about this last week. And, and so you see what I'm saying? When that happens, do you think that's sweet? I can tell you there's a friend that I went through some PhD program stuff with. His name is Terry Shriver. I really love this guy. He's a great pastor. And they started doing treasure hunting, which is this more formal way of doing this where you go out on a night and then you pray and then you go out and you do things. And to me, I want this to become part of life. I don't want it just to become an event thing. I want it to become part of your everyday life all the time, so we're going about this differently. But he's, you know, he and I are friends, and he talked to me, and he said, he said, Kurt, this is, he said, I'm a pastor, and I really love people to begin with. And he said, this has completely changed my life. He said, I can't wait to go out now, because I'll say a prayer, and I'll ask God. And he said, I go out there, and then I'll see something, and then I'll go up and talk to him. And the most incredible things, see what he's doing? He's trained his body biochemically. He's trained his attitudes. He's trained his life now to where he's going out, and he's getting something sweet. He's getting something that's really wonderful. And so now he's doing it. Let me just say it this way. Let's say that you stop and pray at your door every day. Let's say you do that, all right? And, and you do that, and let's just say that you never, ever get a vision, that you never, ever hear anything from the Lord that helps, you know, that is any kind of a revelation that helps you see who to go to. But let's just say that two or three times a day when you walk out your door, when you walk out your office, you're stopping and you're praying for him to use you with other people. You never get a revelation, you never get a vision of what I'm talking about. What do you think is going to happen to the person who does that for, say, a month or two months or three months or a year? Do you think maybe something's going to happen anyway? Because you're asking God, you're training yourself. You're changing your behavior to where you're always thinking, who do you want me to reach out to? Every moment. Do you see it? We're going to end with an exercise right now. I'm going to have you close your eyes, and we're going to go through four steps, okay? I'm going to do our little AA thing here. And, and it's only going to take about, well, it's going to take about uh, four minutes, five minutes max, okay? Not even that. The first thing I want you to do, I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to walk you through four things. Here's the first one. Admit your shortcoming. Admit to the Lord that you have a problem that he wants you to do something and you don't really want to do it. So just do that with him right now. Just, just, right? Now ask him to start giving you a heart for those who need you. This is something I don't really want to do, Lord, in one part of me, and yet the other part of me, like Paul talks about, I really want to do this. So give me a united heart to really want to do this. In fact, Lord, and just pray this with him, number three, drive, stop, and pray down deep in my heart. Drive this down into my heart to where it doesn't, it's not just in my heart, it comes out in my being. That heart flowing over. God, make this stop and pray be a real thing. Make it be a game changer. Make it be the thing. Help it be one of the things, but help it be a thing that is helping me to become utterly new in you. And now the last one. Keep your eyes closed. We're going to actually do what it is I'm asking you to do. And for one minute right now, 
I'm going to time it, okay? For one minute, I want you to pray and ask the Lord, just like it says, show me or tell me something that will help me recognize who you want me to reach out to as I go out. If you pray in the Spirit, do so. Do so quietly and silently, of course, but, but that's a great way to do it. Asking him to bring revelation. That was one minute. That's how long that is. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? That was one minute. How many people in here got something to where they feel like they got just an image or a thought or something? Go ahead and raise your hands. Now, I don't say that to make the people who didn't get one feel bad. I want you to see that half the people in here didn't get that. And I want to say that just like anything else in your life, this is something that we train ourselves towards. See? See? You just train yourself towards it. Just start doing it more and more. And the more you do it, what's going to happen? The more you're going to get it. The more you're going to see it. The more you're going to enter into it. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you that you would take this congregation and that you would move us to being doers, not just hearers. You've given us a very practical way to do this. You've started us in a very, um, as we've been calling it, a biochemical way of starting this process off. But we understand, Lord, that its goal is, is that it, we become it. That it's not just something we're doing, but that we actually become it as we do it. Thank God that you have made us beings that can truly transform. Be the one who's transforming us, Lord. Don't let the world continue to conform us to its image. God, let us start getting a hold, a hold of the depths and the truth of you being that one who's transforming us to your image in your way. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we reach down and we pick up this cup that is before us. It's right in the front of your seat right there. You can pick up. There's actually two cups, so make sure you get them both. And we take the bottom cup in which is the body broken for us. And what that means is, is we recognize that we have broken our lives. That we have not been glass houses. That we have not been those, those kinds of things that are transparent and vulnerable. That we have not been those kinds of things that are oriented to the things of you, even though we thought we were. And we recognize that that steals from us, that that breaks us. And so we take our finger and we put it down in that little cup and we break that bread saying, I recognize that my life is broken. And now we lift that cup, and what we say is, is thank you for going to the cross, breaking your body for us, that we might be made whole. Thank you, God, for healing us. By your stripes, thank you, God, for healing us utterly. And so take this cup together, saying, thank you, God, for healing me of all that's been broken. Now, in Jesus' holy and precious name, raise this cup in which is this blood poured out for us. And always remember, this blood poured out for us. It was done 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, God did everything that you would need right now, today. There's nothing more that you have to do in order to gain it or earn it. It was all bought, purchased, signed, sealed, and delivered for you. And it's already in you just waiting to be activated. 
So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this cup and we say, God, make that life that you have already designed for me. In fact, not just 2,000 years ago, but since before the foundations of the world you had prepared for me. And let me start walking in that life. In Jesus' holy and precious name, take this cup together. Could you guys really quickly pop back to my slide? And if it's going to be a problem, I can't see you, so would you go to the very last slide? Not the very last slide in the deck, but the one right before. You know the one, G.K. Chesterton. One more. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and so left untried. 